very unusual structure. The moon of Mars. Of course I'm going to specify. There's a monolith. We've discovered a base on the back side of the moon. The scientist pulled out one of these mosaics and showed this base. Geometric shapes, there were towers, there were uh, spherical uh, buildings. There were very tall towers and things that looked somewhat like radar dishes. But there were large structures. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Welcome to the Zero Brain Podcast, the show that focuses on the unexplained. I'm Dave Grave, your host, and like always, we got an awesome episode lined up for you today. Here we go. Chapter 15. Ground Markings, Insignia, and High-Rise Signals. The soldier, bleary-eyed after bearing it up in the town, gazed unsteadily at the sea of barracks. Endless barracks, all the same in all directions. All were painted the same drab color, and all were the same distance apart, and all had the same lights burning in front and back. Even the G.I. streets in between looked alike. He fought to keep his eye open and looked around. On the corner was a sign pointing to the left, 11th Armored Infantry Division, 21st Infantry, and so forth. He brightened. Thank God for insignia. He tottered off in that direction, knowing he'd be in his bunk in a few minutes. The occupant of the space vehicle maneuvered the disc up slowly from the isolated Canadian lake, slipped rapidly sideways in the direction of the moon on the horizon, and a few hours later was skimming Mare Ibrium. Thousands of craters as far as the eye could see. Craters the size of dimples. Craters with the same tan gray color. Same rims. White in the sun. The occupant of the space vehicle circled came lower. On the lip of the crater below was the legend. One six zero. He made sounds of satisfaction, his clan, his group. In four minutes, he'd be unloading the big tank full of fresh water. Four minutes to a comfortable atmosphere, air he could breathe, temperature he liked. He was tired of the water run to Earth, and it was good to see the insignia beside the crater. That insignia is found in the last Ranger 7 picture taken with the F.A. camera. 3.7 miles above the moon's surface, less than three seconds before impact. The insignia fascinates me because of the repetition of what looks like our letter A and the regularity of the other characters. The moon's surface is covered with markings of similar interest. There is no weather, no rain or wind to erode them. The only possible eroding factors are A, erasure by intelligent movement either on purpose or by accident, B. Erasure over eons by the slow, relentless fall of space and moon dust. C. Volcanic action. Otherwise, a marking on the moon stays as it is. The result is that one cannot examine the ground in a close-up picture carefully without seeing many markings of interest. Below is another glyph of which I am particularly fond. It is located in the final ranger picture. The temptation is to read all sorts of things into it. For example, I like to see Alpha and Omega, but this temptation should be obviously resisted. It is fun, too, to point out that the glyph has a beautiful repetitive theme where there is a blank between the line. 
a dotted line leads to it. And then there is the similarity of all the characters to the ones we're familiar with. But it is worth repeating a point made in another chapter. There are only so many ways a line can be drawn. Only so many ways, only so many turns of the pencil that can be made. Only so many glyphs which can be created. I feel certain that all our alphabets and numeral characters are repeated on countless planets throughout our galaxy without standing for the same things, the same concepts, and the same sounds, except for rare coincidences. I do not know what this beautiful glyph means, but I am sure it means something to a clan of very intelligent beings. If the occupants of the moon use symbols, insignia, surely these markings would to some extent be repetitive. Surely some of them would be found in several places, and they are. The glyphs which look like A's and X's and P's are found everywhere. We have already presented and considered the large perfect crosses gleaming on the lips of few craters, which are currently being sprayed out. I have found few craters being sprayed or with an extra on the bottom, which do not have a giant cross on the lip. You remember, of course, the wonderful glyph on the octagon in Tycho, and you have been introduced to the different shapes craters have. It is probable that each shape conveys a message, which we can speculate that some of the messages might be, there is mining going on here. This is a crater that is now depicted or depleted of nickel. This is the home of the Alpha Centauri clan, etc., etc., right? There are two kinds of unfinished craters. The one below is extremely common. I've only seen two examples of the one on the top of page of 163. One could make a good cause that the rim in the crater above does not represent a signal, but simply is a convenient way to slice the rim. And I would not disagree. In fact, because the crater shape is unique and because extrons are working there, I would tend to weigh this hypothesis over the other. There is another phenomena which we have not discussed yet. That is the scraped ground on the edge of certain smallish craters. The scraped ground is always in the form of a square or a rectangle. And in most cases, the scraped areas are at 90 degree intervals around the crater. And sometimes there is only one. Two examples are sketched below and at the top of page 164. Is this a signal? The only statement I can make with the real confidence is that the scraped ground results from intelligent activity. Perhaps it represents spots where objects sat while spraying went on, and then the objects left, leaving the previously sheltered surface exposed. Many craters have raised oblongs on their lips. Petuvius and Lubiniki are good examples. The oblongs cast shadows. They slope downward from the raised rim to the ground. The lines of the oblongs are always perfectly straight. There are mammoth E's and F's on the floors of some craters, a random E I can accept as being natural, but dozens of them? All as perfect as if drawn by an architect. Plato on the left and Gassendi on the right are outstanding examples of this. The floor of Copernicus is fascinating. The astronauts saw what has been referred to as construction in these central peaks. On the floor is something which reminds one of the ancient architected monstrosities found on Earth, which are relics of ancient times. It rises to a symmetrical peak, and on its side is a beautiful message. For a time, I kept a record of some of the most interesting glyphs and markings found on the moon. 
The collection looks as though someone chose characters at random from all the alphabets on the earth, from shorthand drill books, from Chinese and hieroglyphic writings. One glyph turned out to look exactly like the following character's sketch. It appealed to me because it is the old Hindi S joined to a Semitic S. Make something out of that at your own peril. Now, too much attention to these glyphs and markings and signals leads to all sorts of fruitless conjecture. For example, I began to find letters similar to the old runic alphabet. Now, if you did not know about runes before, you are in good company. It was a form of writing used in the northern countries of Europe in the 3rd century AD. And at times it was used all over Europe. Every rune stave letter had a name. There were 24 of them, and it is thought that runes originated with the Goths, those early plunderers of the Dark Ages in southeastern Europe. Later, the use of runes would spread northward. I was attracted to the runes because I had seen the following rune staves in markings on the moon. But there are many rune staves I did not see on the moon, and many of the markings were cited which bore no resemblance to them. In making analogies, one must be prepared to face examples which do not fit. One definite failure caused an entire theory to collapse. There are many examples of the glyph A on the moon, but there is nothing like the A in the runic staves, not a trace. Another example of a marking which is repetitive over the moon is the Tree of Life, which we saw on the backs of the ovals in the crater near the Ranger 7 impact point. Now, this glyph has been seen on the moon's surface in many places, always encased in a circle or an oval. The Tree of Life is one of mankind's oldest symbols. Could it be possible that this and certain other symbols were copied from the occupants of the moon during ancient confrontations on Earth? For instance, notice the resemblance of this glyph to the ancient Z of the Semites and the Kerosthenes. There are directional signals on the moon, too. The simple arrow is seen pointing towards things of interest to the occupants. The best example is on the highlands near King Crater, that mysterious crater where so much change is shown. This is the area containing these small craters being sprayed out, which we discussed in chapter 5. The arrow points in the direction of a hollow where there are other markings. Markings on the moon must be distinguished from raised objects and from those strange filaments making up these so-called grid systems. These filaments are found everywhere. They cross craters at ground level and sometimes they end at the crater lip with a tip jutting out. With filaments running at right angles to them, they often form a matrix or woven pattern. Some parts of the moon's surface are so covered with these matrices that one is tempted to speculate that once the entire surface of the moon was an artificial cover, that we now see is chaotic remains. Signals which rise high in the sky. There is most certainly configuration on the moon which takes the form of a thin tower rising for a mile or more. It is one of the clearest-cut indications of intelligence on the moon. The towers are invariably straight, and most remarkably, when on a ridge or mountain mass, they are always placed on the highest point. One form of this phenomenon was noticed by Russian lunar scientists and subsequently reported by Ivan Sanderson. Most of these towers have received no notice. An exception has been the frank statement by Dr. Farouk Albaz, who told of enormous spires taller than the tallest buildings on earth. He said they seemed to be constructed of material different from the surrounding moonscape, that none of the lunar landings came close enough to get surface pictures of the spires. They are whitish, Elbaz said, with shadows stretching for many miles. 
which will classify them and other high risers into basic types. A. Mountaintop Antennae There are several mountain ranges and high crater rims where peaks have been carved into exotic shapes and their highest points topped with towers or interesting sculptures. The towers gleam in the sunlight. Sometimes they rise at an angle, sometimes exactly vertically. NASA photos shot obliquely along valleys are at the best way to see them. For an example of an unmistakable high-rise, quote-unquote, tower created by the occupants of the moon, refer to the mountain mass on the right side of the central crater in Plate 3. Now, some are in the form of the designs like simple Chinese characters, and these kinds of towers are sketched below. B. Towers connected by a filament. For this example, we return to the superb photographs of the moon taken by Matsui at the Kwasan Observatory in Japan. Some are reproduced in moons in Moore's A Survey of the Moon. Plate number 9 in Moore's book shows Petuvius. Between this crater and the crater to its right is an array of slanted poles or towers, all rising at an angle of less than 45 degrees. A filament possibly a cable, can be seen running from tip to tip. C. Sentinels in the wasteland. Many good examples exist of single towers rising straight up from the ground, not on peaks or highlands. In some cases, there are towers spaced several miles apart and perfectly aligned. My favorite one, which rises for perhaps a hundred feet or more and then it turns suddenly horizontal at a perfect 90-degree angle, is in plate 2167-H-187. D. Anomalous constructions. A wide variety of strange high risers delight and mystify. Beyond Pythagoras, beyond the Sea of Cold, one can find huge S configurations snaking their way skyward as though to pay a shaky homage to an unknown deity. Zigzag towers look smoky in the distance, perhaps from sun shining on mesh or metal filigree. The size of these constructions varies from a few hundred yards to ten or more miles. What is particularly interesting is their parallelism. We can say with virtual complete assurance that they represent the efforts of the occupants. King Crater is as anomalous an area as exists on the moon. The theory of this book could stand alone on the evidence of features of that crater and environs. One of the many curious objects there is something which rises in curves like an ocean wave. It has a forked end. Its length must be approximately three miles, and I have no idea what to make of it, and happily relegate it to the reservoir of natural phenomena, but this does not make it any less the mystery. What kind of internal or other forces on the moon could create it? Is there a resemblance between this and some of the high risers to be seen in Mare Crisium? Beacons, signals, and problems of communications. A knowledge of basic physics helped me formulate a theory concerning the purpose of these phenomena. I was concerned about the proliferation of high-rise towers on the moon, particularly the thin straight ones which were not so aesthetically pleasing as were many of the others. What could they be used for? The answer is simple. You probably have guessed it already. Radio and television waves travel readily through the moon's near vacuum. Our astronomers communicated by radio from space vehicle to lunar module on the ground and from the moon to ground control in Houston. Both radio and television waves are electromagnetic. These waves travel in a straight line. Since the moon is considerably smaller than the Earth, the moon's horizon is very close to an observer standing on the rim of a crater.
standing on the moon. You can stand in a moderate-sized crater, and the rim of that crater might well be beyond the horizon. It would be very hard to imagine in such a situation that you were in a crater. The curvature of both Earth and the moon presents a problem for radio and television waves, but the problem is more serious for the smaller moon. The moon has no heave-side layer of ionized gas, such as we have in our atmosphere. This layer can act as a mirror for radio waves of a certain long frequency. It is easy to see that the occupants of the moon could have a need to facilitate the transmission of electromagnetic waves. Towers to aid in transmitting these signals would be important. A new dimension would be the receipt and transmission of electromagnetic waves between the moon and their home planets. Some of these circular objects we see on the surface may be for the purpose of bringing in distant signals, local and or distant radio transmissions, is a feasible explanation of many of the high-rise towers and other constructions of the moon. You're probably wondering why we do not pick up a consistent gabble of their communications on radio. Now, one possibility is that their rate of information transfer is so great that all we detect is noise. Indeed, if the transfer rate were sufficiently great, we might not hear nothing at all. Now, another possibility is that we do pick up their communications, but fail to recognize them as such. The mathematics of radio and television wave coverage over straight-line distances is easily worked out. As Galileo, that feisty prisoner, is quoted on the new Mars, NASA is having said, In questions of science, the authority of a thousand is not worth the reasoning of a single individual. And that is the end of chapter 15. Next week, chapter 16, Assorted Oddities. All right, that's the end of the show. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, and follow on every major social media avenue you see the Zero Brain Podcast at. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Buzzsprout.com, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I'm Dave Grave. Again, this is the Zero Brain Podcast. You guys have a great day. Peace.